welcome to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. As always, you have the pleasure of being guided through a randomly picked topic by me, Danielle, a grown-up grumpy archaeology student residing in a freezing cold England for some reason. And Melanie, a never-grown-up-and-don't-wanna newly-termed cunning lady who chooses to live in Southern California for some reason. Say hello, <laughs> Melanie! Hello, Melanie! How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I am okay. We have an, had an interesting pre-recording conversation that jumped from topic to topic. Yeah, dude. No kidding. So now we're going to have to try to focus on one topic. Do you think we can do it? I, I have my doubts, but I am going to try. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, then we'll jump straight in, shall we? Because we've been having this habit of kind of going off on one at the beginning of our podcast lately. So... We could jump right in and go with some updates. Let's do some updates. Okay. Update. As you are all aware, or should be by now, I am currently working towards my master's in archaeology, and I've just hit year three, which is dissertation number one. I have three months left before my dissertation is due, as well as essays and presentations from my other classes. Because of this, I cannot dedicate as much time as I want to and that you deserve in order to give you top quality facts. So Melanie and I have talked about this and we're going to do this. We are going to go to bi-weekly episodes with the occasional Mel- Melanie mini-sode if the spirit moves her. Mm-hmm. So we hope this works out and we hope you're not upset, but it'll only be until the end of April and then norm- normal service can resume. Nice. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Mel? No, that sounds good to me. If there's anything you wanted me to talk about in a mini-sode, in a mini-seed, in a mini-sode, please let me know. Um, yeah, because I don't have the responsibilities. I have my own set of responsibilities, but they are nowhere near as brain-consuming as Danielle's. So mini-sode won't hurt me. So let me know. And equally, if I feel like I can sit on the other end of a Skype call and have Melanie just regale me with interesting stories and facts, there's, I'm not against that either. If I don't have to bring anything to the table, I'm mm-hmm. quite happy to sit there. So That could be fun. Um, yeah, that would be fine. That would be fun, yeah. It, um, I just the like official episodes will be bi-weekly because I don't want people to think I'm a lazy sod that's just going to let you carry me through. <laughs> No. <laughs> I always have something to say about everything anyway, so it's true. My deep rooted instincts is to always comment on everything. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any updates you'd like to add? No, that's that's pretty much it. That's that was solid. Cool. <laughs> oh man, we're going through business tick, tick, tick. So now we're going <laughs> on to uh the thing. Uh, do you have a thing? I, I So I guess my thing was I had such a great birthday, you guys. It was so much fun. I went to uh, the Egyptian theater and I got to see Freaked, um, which is written and directed by Tom Stern and Alex Winter of Bill and Ted. Um, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. It sold out, which yeah. is crazy. Like, this is such a cult classic weird ass movie that as far as I was concerned, like no one had seen. Um, and so so going there and it was sold out and I got free styrofoam official styrofoam cup. 
<laughs> with a freak sticker on it. Um, there's a gag in the movie. There's one one part in the movie where they're sneaking into the the, the lab to create like a new serum. I'm not gonna go into like the plot of the movie too much, so but <laughs> they turn on the machine and this huge loud raucous sound, and then the the guy goes like, oh wait, <laughs> the volume's on, so he turns the volume off, and then accidentally knocks over a styrofoam cup. Now the mad scientist didn't hear the raucous machine sound, but as soon as that styrofoam cup hit the ground, he goes. <gasps> styrofoam cup so the gag was that everybody dropped their styrofoam cup in that moment and just hearing like 600 plus styrofoam cups hit the ground in in a moment of silence was fucking perfect so good but yeah i got to see sig neutron um gave him a hug that was really cool get to see him in person because we've sort of become uh facebook friends and online friends through just mutual podcast stuff uh, he is tall and he's lovely and we love him. Give uh, Sig Neutron Sputron podcast a good listen to. He he talks a lot of cool mental uh, work, weirdness. Uh, just He's just a bizarre dude, but he's also got some really beautiful ideas and ideologies and, and he's really fun to listen to. So that was me and I it was just a really great fucking birthday. It was like everything I wanted. Oh, that's good. Melanie has a glow. Yeah, <laughs> really, really happy. My, like I said last time, my last few birthdays have been a little meh. Yeah. And uh, this year, I'm just, I'm so full of optimism. Not so much for the world. I'm working on that part. But for myself and my own personal journey, I'm I'm full of optimism. And the fact that I get to start my new age on a on a date that is so fundamentally like who I am. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's this weird-ass movie, this cool event that was just like, this is the kind of thing I used to do and I haven't done in 10-plus years. So to start the age of 34 with a date that is is so much who I am at my core was just solid, and it felt like a good sign. Oh, that's good. Well, talking about going on journeys, I can talk about my thing. Yeah. So I haven't told you this yet, but I have signed up for a 10-week-long intense health and fitness program through a local studio. Nice. Yes. So you do, like, home exercise and you do app stuff and you go to boot camps and you log your food and you do all of this stuff. It's, like, loads of stuff crammed into 10 weeks and it's supposed to be, like, pretty intense. Get your ass off the sofa kind of thing so I'm not entirely sure what I'm getting myself into but I'm hoping that it's like a lightning bolt of like fitness yeah um, that like gets me off my ass and actually caring about my body and so hopefully would then improve my mind as well so I'm not going to become like that person that was like I was at the gym today (laughs) believe me I will not be that person but if I lose weight or achieve anything that I'm proud of you better believe I'm coming on here and celebrating it because yeah yeah well that's wellness rule number one recognize and celebrate your achievements but yeah there is a competition element to it though because you Mm. know i can't help myself apparently the person that does the best like that achieves the most i don't know how they measure it i don't know if it's measured by how much weight you lose or how much of a transformation you go through basically if you shine a little bit brighter there's like a cash prize fuck yeah yeah that money so if i got that money you know i would invest it in carrying on if i liked it you know what i mean yeah yeah it's uh 
it's going to be like my next obsession, I guess. I don't know. I've already started cutting things out. I went and I bought the um, the low sugar, low fat Ben and Jerry's instead of the full sugar, full fat Ben and Jerry's. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I'm going <laughs> <laughs> great. I'm actually like a really see like not so secretly in love with Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a I'm a salt and and uh, uh, cheese kind of person. That's where my weaknesses are. I know you're not into it. But the thing is, like, Ben and Jerry's do really good salty ice creams. That is so true. Yeah. But I'm also, like, dirt as broke. So unless my ice cream is, like, $2, I just can't do it. <laughs> this is true. I only buy it with on deal. Believe me, I do not buy this at full price. Because full price, it's £5. Yeah. For the little tub. So it's, like, £4.90 usually. But sometimes it's on sale for three pounds and you better believe that I get it when it's on sale for three pounds. But then when you actually check yourself and you're going three pounds is still a lot of money for that much ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) But the low fat, no, no sugar one was only two pound 50. So that's okay. Was it good? Actually? Yes. Okay, good. That's what's important. Yeah. It was actually really nice. It had caramel in it and brownie bits. It was nice. Nice. See, I can't do diets. Diets um, fuck me up mentally. So I work on just portion control. That's yeah, that's that where I have control over. Because if, if I'm told that I can't eat something, suddenly I am miserable and I'm angry and I hate everything. And I'll do it, but I have I see no progress because my mind and my body are at war. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm not dieting. I want to make that yeah. very clear. I'm, I'm simply making... Um, making reasonable replacements yeah and i'm increasing the amount of fruit and vegetable that i'm eating and lowering the amount of sugar and dairy that i'm eating in fact Mm -hmm. um by basically doing things like i'm not going to buy cheese from my house but i'll eat cheese when i'm out and about okay yeah 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 see small changes like that totally are effective i stopped eating um i didn't stop eating red meat but i used to eat so much red meat and now I, I am pretty much strictly poultry with the occasional burger. Uh, and it's small changes like that that, that have really made a, a fairly significant difference. Um, if I get a burger, I don't eat the fries most of the time. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, I went to McDonald's the other day for breakfast because I love me an egg and cheese McMuffin. But because I was having an egg and cheese McMuffin, I knew that that was a lot of calories. So I got the alternative side. So instead of a hash brown, I got a piece of pineapple. Ew. I know, right? How is that an option? Is that an option as a side? As a side, yeah. It's like a strip of pineapple, like that big. Just one chunk of pineapple? A big chunk, but yeah, it's like, they call it like a pineapple stick. That's so weird. <laughs> oh my god, we don't have that. <laughs> yeah, it's so that the meal falls under 380 calories. Mm. But at the end of the day, I keep telling people this and everything like it's not really the calories that are the problem. It's what kind of um what kind of food you're eating and how it will be stored. So because it's like carbs and cheese, yeah. Doesn't matter. That's still fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's my one weakness is hash browns i can skip over french fries so easily but hash browns are my life if i get anything mcdonald's you bet i'm getting two maybe even three hash browns yeah i was i usually go for the cheese and egg mcmuffin and two hash browns and a latte but by the time you've done sausage and egg 
and they stick a hash brown in it. Mm. But by the time you've actually just got your meal together, you're already at like 900 calories. So I resisted the urge to get the uh, hash browns and I just had the McMuffin. And then I was like, maybe try to not do that so often. But, you know, when I'm on my way to uni <laughs> and I'm hungry <laughs> and I can just go through the drive through real quick and get myself a ha- uh, an egg McMuffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the only time of day I can actually eat at McDonald's because after 11.30, I might as well not bother. Yeah. So. Except at the moment, they've got vegetarian food going on, vegan food, because it's vegan and veganuary. Are they doing that over there as well? No. Uh, not that I know of. Yeah, it's like a thing. They're trying to get people to do veganuary, which is like eat vegan in January. Weird. I know. I mean, I mean, it's good. It's good. I'd like meat. I'm just an asshole like that. I don't like that doing things like that makes it faddish. Like it just. Yeah. I just think it's like the kind of the 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 wheat intolerance and um you know like gluten things like if you make it like a like a fad thing like that people will fall. I don't know. It just yeah, it's a turn off. It is a little bit. But we if people are eating vegan in January, I'm absolutely fine with that because it's environmentally friendly and it's ethical and it's nice. But anyway, we've gone on a tangent. Gone on a tangent. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. So, okay. So, right. So you are celebrating your new path and I'm celebrating my new path. And mine okay. has, mine has, um, yeah. Let's get sexy, yo. Yeah, exactly. I, I like... I'm sick of being in this body, so we'll see what happens. We're we're gonna we're gonna dominate this year. I just feel it, both of us together. <laughs> if nuclear winter doesn't happen. Yeah, shh, shh. I'm still upset at you for predicting Trump. I'll never forgive you for that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all your fault. All right. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. <laughs> all right. So with that, as we celebrate our paths together forward into a wonderful year let's take a big deep breath on the count of three one two three today's topic okay so today's topic is um it was drawn as catacombs and mausoleums but those are two topics so we've separated catacombs and mausoleums and just done catacombs today and i'm i'm you can see catacombs and you can see catacombs. I will probably change between the two of them depending on the sentence that I'm reading. But catacombs is today's topic. Yes. So what are catacombs? You may be asking yourself. Well, they're not things that you brush your hair with. They are human-made subterranean passageways with receptacles for the ritual practice of storing the bodies of the dead. Yeah. Basically, they are underground tombs with nooks, shelves, hooks and crannies for propping corpses. The first place to be referred to as a catacomb was the system of underground tombs on the Appian Way in Rome, where the bodies of the apostles Peter and Paul, amongst others, were said to have been buried. But since 1836, any underground chamber used as a burial place is referred to as a catacomb. As well as corpses... Catacombs exhibit decorations which can include inscriptions, paintings, statues, ornaments, and other items placed in the graves, mostly of religious iconography and particularly of Christ. Mm -hmm. 
so that is your sort of background to what catacombs are and now we will go into an example of a catacomb and i'm gonna jump right in first is that all right mel absolutely fine i'm so excited okay cool so my topic this week in sorry my subject subject this week yeah so the bit that i decided to focus on were the crypt mummies of sicily the capuchin catacombs of palermo what am i talking about where are these catacombs and when were they used i'm glad you asked but you need to calm down i'm going to tell you (laughs) i'm first i'm going to post a link uh, to a national geographic article with an amazing picture gallery so you guys can look at them um they're protected by copyright so i don't want to risk just stealing them so i highly recommend you look at the image of uh, the, the gallery of images they are beautiful anyway and it'll give you a little bit more insight into what i'm talking about so when this episode goes up that link will be included with the episode so that you can like have a flick through because it is kind of important with things like this that you see what we're talking about as well because it's kind of hard to imagine but i will do my best and the way that i've done that is that i've got some quotes from a really well-written article about um from someone who went to visit the catacombs which is what is posted Anyway, but it's the gallery at the top that you really want to focus on. But the the actual article itself is really good as well. Anyway, <laughs> this quote is from this article. And um, he uh, he or she, I'm not sure, is A.A. A. Gill is the author? Yeah, that, does, that doesn't give you much as far as gender. It doesn't give me gender. So I'm going to refer, refer to them as they, which is not difficult. Hello there. Danielle here with a little correction. It's a dude. More on him later. They describe their experience as they are going into one of the um, catacombs, and I will uh, talk to you about which one later. Down a flight of stairs, past a wooden statue of Our Lady of Sorrows, is the door to the catacomb, the waiting room of the dead. Surprisingly large, with high, vaulted ceilings and long corridors stretching away at right angles, it's cool and dank and smells of sour spiced dust and rotting cloth the windows are high and diffuse the sunlight into a pale glow fluorescent bulbs vibrate adding a medically forensic anemic brightness hanging from the walls propped on benches resting in their decrepit boxes are nearly two thousand dead they're dressed in their living best the uniforms of their earthly calling there's no one else down here a brilliant quote a.a yeah. gill i have a feeling for some reason that this person's actually not someone i should be regaling but we'll get into that later okay. the name sounds familiar to me and for some reason it's somebody i'm gonna have to look it up later but it, yeah. like, for some reason i think is a.a gill someone that said something bad that i shouldn't be quoting them but anyway hopefully not yeah. <laughs> we'll find out Hello there, Danielle here again. Right, so the reason why the name was so familiar to me was because A.A. Gill is quite a controversial character. I do remember who he is now. I just had a complete mind fade when I was recording the episode. But he is somebody that I shouldn't be regaling because he's a bit of a... Well, we'll just say he's controversial. Um, He said some really nasty things about a scholar who I personally admire very much mary beard so there's that against him and also he said some like nasty things about some other celebrities in the uk and called people like 
a big lesbian and things like that. And the worst thing is that he sort of bragged about killing a baboon and he said he did it to, quote, get a sense of what it might be like to kill someone. So yeah, A.A. Gill, A.A. Gill, bit of a dick. So just thought I'd put that in there. I do know who he is now. I remember this. He's a dick, but he's a really good travel writer. So we'll just have to give him that. Also, he's dead now. So he's not really going to be offended by what I just said. So rest in peace, Sky, I guess. Like your baboon buddy. Dick. I don't know. Whatever. All right. Back to the podcast. Okay, so the Capuchin Catacombs of Palermo, which is what I'm specifically talking about, are also known as the... Oh, no. I'm not going to bother doing that. We'll try. Sorry, Italian. No. I can... right. Catacombi di Cappuccini. <laughs> <laughs> or the catacumbi di cappuccini cappuccini oh man it's just racist yeah, or yeah, the yeah. catacombs of the capuchins were the burial catacombs for you guessed it the capuchin order of monks uh it started in 1599 and it was still being used all the way up until the 1920s and are of predominant and are predominantly located in Palermo, Sicily. Um, but though there are various locations of the catacombs throughout Sicily, including Piriano, Piriano, Navarra di Sicilia, and Savaca. Can you tell I've only written those words and not said them out loud? Yeah, oh. <laughs> These catacombs are not the same as the Capuchin crypt beneath the church of Santa Maria della Conciazione di Cappuccini in Rome, thanks, (laughs) which contains the skeletal remains of 3,700 bodies. These bodies in Palermo are a little more fleshy. Yeah. When Palermo's Capuchin Monastery outgrew its original cemetery in the 16th century, a monk, uh, the monks began to excavate crypts below the monastery and started to, instead of simply interring the bodies, mummify them. In Navarra de Sicilia, trapdoors lie before the cathedral's altar and lead to the crypt below. In Savaca, the tombs are located in a convent at the top of a hill. In the many crypts and underground catacombs, the mummies of men and women hang in ghoulish rows, the bodies propped in niches and stacked on shelves. So the first dude. In 1599, they mummified their first body, that of brother Silvestro of Gubbio. And now nearly 2,000 mummies can be found in Palermo and around 50 are known in Piriano and Savaca and the other areas. Also two cats. In, in Neora de Sicilia, these cats died in the crypt and were naturally mummified and are kept in a box on a shelf of skulls. Nice. Yeah. Oh, kitties. They're little kitties. The wiki, the wiki page states that the catacombs contain around 8,000 corpses and 1,252 mummies. But that stat must be for all of the catacombs you know like all of them all all together and it still doesn't yeah. quite make any sense to me but i did try to find out what it meant but i couldn't make heads and tails of it but essentially palermo is the biggest of the catacombs and it's the oldest and original one and that one has nearly 2000 mummies in it apparently the halls are divided into categories as well so you don't just get like buried willy-nilly there's men 
women, virgins, children, priests, monks and professionals. Some bodies are better pre preserved than others. Some are set in poses. For example, two children are sitting together in a rocking chair. Mm -hmm. The coffins were accessible to the families of the deceased so that on certain days the family could hold their hands and could join them in a family prayer. And originally permission to visit the crypts was reserved for clergymen and family and friends of the people interred there. But nowadays people visit the crypts not only to pray for the souls of the dead, but also tourists. And yeah. we'll talk about that later. I think there's a good point where we can start talking about the, the dark tourism element of it. Oh, yeah. So how are they mummified? Right. So no one really knows exactly what started the mummification, why they started doing it. Probably by chance it was discovered that a body left in a crypt with a particular atmosphere of coolness and porous limestone would eventually dry out rather than rot. Uh, but then at some point a system was devised. The newly dead were laid in chambers called strainers on terracotta slats over drains where their body fluids could seep away and the corpses could slowly desiccate. Ooh. After eight months to a year, they'd be washed with vinegar, put back in their best clothes and either placed in coffins or hung on the walls. Some were embalmed and others were just enclosed in like sealed glass cabinets. The older traditions of mummification involved the insides of the abdomen being removed and the corpse stuffed, but newer techniques made, like developed by doctors in Palermo, involved injecting a solution containing arsenic, alcohol, or mercury bichloride into a cataride artery, artery to chemically halt decay. Um, not every corpse would have dried out. So it wouldn't have always been successful. Some will have rotted. And so the preservation of others might have been kind of a divine. People kind of believe that um, the people that were uh, that, that were able to be preserved, it was God's will. And then yeah. if, they, if they rotted, it wasn't God's will for them to be preserved. So if you were able to be mummified, it was a mark that you were particularly good yeah particularly and, blessed yeah yeah so who were these people that were particularly blessed so another quote from the article to start us off uh to get us in the mood the corridors are segregated into religious folk and professional meaning doctors and lawyers and a couple of vaudeville grand soldiers in their carabinieri uniforms if you know what that means, please write in. There's a woman's corridor. There's a woman's corridor where the guide points out that we can admire the fashions of the past. Huh. I, I make face. The skeletons stand in shredded rags, grimmed and bleached a murky grey. There is little to admire. A side chapel is devoted to those who died virgins, especially poignant and by contemporary mores, a pathetically cruel appellation to carry into eternity. When they were interred here, they must have appeared as symbols of purity amongst the decay. And then there is a small chapel for infants. The children are dressed in their party frocks, propped up like living dead dolls. One sits in a nursery chair with a skeleton on her lap, perhaps a younger sibling, unbearably pitiful and simultaneously laughably grotesque. So at first, the people getting mummified were the capuchin monks themselves and i'm sorry i've got to say right now every single time i say it i think about the monkeys 
Like, I think capuchin monkeys before I think capuchin monks. Anyway. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, capuchin monks themselves were treated this way. Oh, hold on. So, at first it was just the capuchin monks. But then, later, other high-ranking, wealthy supporters of the capuchins, like nobles, professionals, and merchants, were incorporated. Fun fact. Tests on these mummies revealed that many suffered from ailments linked to rich diets. So a lot of the mummies were basically, like, lush. Yeah. (laughs) People who were not friars or priests and wanted to be displayed in the crypts and catacombs had to pay the capuchins for a place. In 1853, an American visitor wrote that those whose family continued to support the monastery were displayed in the best, most visible spot, but those whose families had fallen behind on payments were pulled out of the more prominent spots and stashed away on shelves, either just to be rid of or until the payments started up again when they were put back on display. Very similar things happen in South America, so it's not that unheard of. They have entire cemetery clearouts in countries in south america where people just get like dumped so you know but it's not it's actually weird that we don't do things with our dead but anyway this was the price people wanted to pay because according to anthropologist uh, dario piombino mascali the people of sicily appeared to be sorry the people of sicily aspired to be mummified and displayed since mummification was seen as a miracle a direct intervention from god it has also been suggested that perhaps the practice is the residual echo of a much older pre-Christian rite, a belief in the shamanistic power of corpses. Ooh. Ooh. Um, from the article again, this isn't like the catacombs of Rome, an archaeological ex- which was an archaeological excavation of tombs. Here, the bodies are, were always meant to be seen, and they charge you a small fee for the pleasure. There are signs to remind you to be respectful and not take photographs, but they sell them. It's not clear if this is a religious experience or a cultural one, but it is a tourist attraction. Now is a good time to talk about this, the ethical, moral implications of like visiting these places what do you think even the author struggles through it throughout the whole article they're they're struggling with whether or not they should be there yeah what do you think well personally i mean a lot of those people paid to be displayed so i don't i wouldn't feel bad not to tourists though Eh. it was meant to be for like their community their friends their family fair enough um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, weirdly enough, I don't have any kind of moral issue with that catacomb in particular. There are other ones that I have a little bit bigger of an issue with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, th- this one in particular, I don't feel too terribly bad for. I, I think mainly just because of the money that went into it and the fact that most people who, who were mummified and placed in those places had enough money to do it, probably uh, while other people were suffering tremendously so be my entertainment damn it I agree to an extent I think that quite a few of them would probably be quite um, chuffed that they're still being seen by people yeah. 100 years after their death you know the sort of later people like merchants and 
entertainers and things like that people that were like wealthy that got in there yeah um the whole concept of viewing dead corpses is something that i have and will continue to struggle with through my research and career because the ethics of burial and the ethics of excavation like burial and excavation of remains of the dead are obviously something that i've got to consider being an archaeologist um i just wondered what you thought because i've i've got like i don't want to paint everything with one brush that's very and i think that that's basically what you were saying is that in this particular case i don't really have a problem but in other cases i do and i agree like i don't think that I don't think there's one answer to this. I don't think that you can either display the dead or not. I think that there's grey areas and I think that there's room for discussion. Yeah. I just think some people listening might think, oh my God, this is sacrilegious. This is uh, bad luck or it's mm-hmm. just disrespectful to go as a tourist yeah. to go look at people's dead bodies. Like that's... Well, yeah, and I think it also depends on, I mean, I think a lot of people who go in there and... Um, are in there just to see a bunch of dead bodies, probably leave with a bit of reverence and respect. Mm. So I, I feel like the the environment itself calls for respect and, and admiration. But good. tourists can also be really shitty and, yeah. and chaotic. So, you know, if you go in there with respect, I'm all about it. Uh, but yeah, when your tourists go in there and they're dropping their Starbucks cups next to a little g- corpse of a little girl in a rocking chair, then fuck that person. Yeah, they've had to put up, what did they say? They've had to put up, like, um, what is it called? Bars. Bars, yeah. Bars in front of some of the corpses so that people stop taking selfies with them. Yeah, oh, that's so shitty. And, right. and Or just, like, stealing stealing stuff. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that's, that's a common element in every catacomb and mausoleum, just people stealing important iconography or just human fucking remains which is just an evil thing to do and uh you know <laughs> that that's kind of like you're cursing yourself with that one there's just some things you don't do and i would not be surprised if anybody who's sto- stolen a a piece of human remains ended up dying a horrible death i mean we did talk about mommy's curses so you know mm-hmm. <laughs> well actually now is a really good time to talk about some of the 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 individual stories then um of the residents of the catacombs and you've got a particular one in mind that you wanted to talk about melanie don't you um whose nickname is sleeping beauty yes so this one i had written up i think a lot of this particular uh catacomb we've written up for the the mummy episode yeah but we had to cut it because there were so many other things we wanted to talk about so Sleeping Beauty, uh, also known as the girl in the glass coffin and the world's most beautiful mummy. Rosalio Lombardo was a sweet little girl who died of pneumonia at two years old in 1920. Her father, Mario, so desperately grieved her death that he approached Alfreda Salafio to preserve her. Until recently, the exact formula he used had been a mystery, but in 2009 it was finally tracked down. Basically, nearly 100 years after her death, Rosalia has changed very, very little. She was sealed inside her tiny glass coffin. She sleeps, her little head pokes above a fading silk blanket. Tufts of blonde hair still flow down her cheeks, a silk bow tied firmly around her head. The only sign that time has passed at all is there's an amulet of the Virgin Mary on her chest that is oxidized with time. Other than that, she's in near-perfect condition. In yeah, 2009... The blanket's a bit stained. 
the blanket's a bit stained and, and her color has gone off. In 2009, they found that her color is starting to kind of go off, which was kind of the first real sign of actual deterioration. Um, the chemicals used in embalming her were quite interesting. You have zinc, salt, alcohol, salicylic acid, and glycerin. So the combination of alcohol and the climate conditions within the catacombs would have dried Rosalia's body. Glycerin would have allowed the body to mummify, and the salicylic acid prevented the growth of mold. But zinc was really sort of the magic ingredient here, which gave the body rigidity and essentially turned the flesh into wax. Yeah. Which is really, really neat. And it was so – she's so – beautiful you guys it's it's staggering and a lot of people were kind of convinced that she was replaced by a wax replica because there was no way that yeah like in 2000 i think it was 2009 they're like this thing's been here for 90 years and there she's still perfect so they brought in an mri and scanned her body and found that her organs and her bones were all perfectly in place like almost perfectly preserved her brain had shrunk to 50 percent due to the mummification process but was still completely visible completely viable you could see the different um chambers and stuff really really impressive <laughs> really impressive do you uh, know why he kept the formula secret no he kept the formula secret because he was selling it to america no shit war. yeah so he needed the secret the formula to stay secret because he was selling it and making a living off selling the the, the fluid to the americans after the civil war because after the civil war there was like a fad for um embalming and uh preserving the the bodies of people that had died during the slaughter yeah. basically so if he'd have gone around shouting what his formula was he'd have put himself out of business he made a good amount of money selling the fluid to america so and to be fair it secret. was like He's not being like a dick <laughs> Yeah, and, and no, and to be fair, I mean that it's a really good formula to preserve a corpse. That was a really good formula. I personally, I just don't, I don't want to be, and I don't want to be embalmed. I just want to be put in the ground in a garden. Like, no. I want to be fertilizer. That's all I want. I don't want to be embalmed either. I don't want to be embalmed. I don't want a box. Just throw me into the dirt, cover me up. That's it. I want to donate my body to science. Yeah, I did kind of opt to donate uh, organs and stuff, but whatever's left, I want just thrown into a garden. Yeah. Um, so as well as being perfectly preserved and just crazy stunning, there's also this beautiful myth about her eyes. I was wondering if you were going to talk about this. Now, her eyes, when she was embalmed and encased in this glass coffin, um, were not actually fully closed. They were they're open just the slightest bit. But a lot of people make a big deal. It's a sort of phenomenon and believe that throughout the day her eyes start to open. And then as they get towards the end of the day, they start to close again. I mean, and you can see the videos, the YouTube videos, and, and look at the pictures. And it looks pretty convincing, but it's it's all optical illusion. There's also a theory that maybe that there's a temperature fluctuation that just sort of make the eyelids shift a little bit. I don't really know if that's how it works. No, the temperature in the catacombs is pretty level. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's really cool, and she's really just so pretty, so sad. This two-year-old little baby girl, pretty. Yes. Yeah, so if you look at the the article that I post with the upload of the episode in the gallery at the top, there's the very last picture is of Rosa. So, mm -hmm. um, you can call her Rosa. Her name's Rosalia, but you can call her Rosa. So, um, the locals call her Rosabella which is really sweet um but yeah she's 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 interesting um 
definitely one of the best preserved, but I like some of the others as well. Give me some others. So most of them don't have names, so I kind of have to just refer to them as their rank and post kind of thing because yeah. most of the inscriptions that describe who they are have lost over the years. So there is a mummy of a clergyman in the Piriano, not a catacomb, not in the the main one, but one in a different village, who has amazingly well-preserved paper-thin skin. So mm. all of his skin is totally um, preserved, and it's, like, so thin that you can kind of see through it. Yeah, translucent. And, yeah. And there's two pictures of him in this gallery, so you go check it out. So this was made possible because the Capuchin monks wasted absolutely no time after he died and dried his body out immediately after his death, and they placed him on the wooden rack. So all those lovely fluids could drain away pretty much as soon as. Yeah. And there's also probably some kind of ventilation to remove the lingering moisture. And furthermore, he had branches of herbs found tucked inside, um, which probably masked odours and also aided in the preservation. So he's just like a perfectly preserved clergyman, monk, man that... Yeah. Uh, is another one that you have to kind of see to appreciate. So definitely check out the pictures. There's also a 19th century friar in a crypt in Palermo, which is the main one, that managed to keep his beard because the low humidity over the centuries allowed the skin that holds his whiskers to dry out really quickly. So he's a full bearded man. Nice. <laughs> which is really, really rare, which is why we kind of sort of wig out about bog bodies because bog bodies have facial hair yeah and it's really really rare so um but at least with the catacomb mummies you know that the beard is as it was when the person was alive yeah. whereas bog bodies you don't know if there's been some chemical process that has burned away some of it or whatever so it's kind of mental That's to see cool. like it's basically like a, he looks like his eyes are closed he's um, the mummification has been kind to this guy. He looks like his eyes are closed rather than like, ah! you know, like the usual gaping holes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he's just got this perfect beard. So it's That's lovely. Awesome. There's also the 14 uh, year old Giuseppe Siciliano, who died on March 20th, 1851, not long after his 14th birthday. He is displayed beneath a pane of glass. Um, in a coffin and he is really really popular with tourists I think because he's like a dashing young man in like 19, mid 19th century finery yeah and he looks perfect he has like a little bob and everything he's just, <laughs> just darling he's just darling <laughs> uh, um, another, another guy called Giuseppe but this is Giuseppe Tomasi di Lampedusa an Italian writer and last prince of the Lampedusa, so Lampedusa or Lampedusa, so he's, he was a prince, is sometimes said to be buried in the catacombs, and I'm going to set the record straight. He is not. He's buried in the cemetery next door. Ah. <laughs> Got it. Yes. Science section. Woo! Right, just real quick, just some science. These mummies serve to provide us with valuable information as well as morbid satisfaction. We can determine the diet, illness and life expectancy of the people of the past as well as learn more about the diseases that killed them, like syphilis, malaria, cholera and tuberculosis, which can help us to better treat them today. 
Scientists from multiple disciplines, like forensic sciences, archaeologists, biologists, and so on, have taken measurements of the corpse's heights, ages, examined the skull, the teeth. They look for the ridges of enamel that signify years of malnutrition and such things. In Savaka, two mummies were found to have gout. Five show signs of degenerative arthritis, and almost all the people suffered horribly from dental conditions, yeah. like severe tartar buildup, receding gums, caries, and abscesses. It was not fun back in the day. Teeth hurt. It is yeah. becoming a very clear pattern. I think that um, once sugar was introduced, man, whoo, our teeth could not handle it. So, um, and just. To sum it all up, I'm going to finish now, but I just got to, three things. The mummies are at risk. I know I've got to bring it down a notch, but they are not going to last forever. Yeah. In particular, in the um, Palermo catacomb, there was some work done on sewer lines nearby. And water that used to drain away from the catacombs and crypts is now leaking in. Oh, and no. It, yeah, it causes the plaster ceiling to crumble and dust to fall on the mummies. So that's why if you look at all of the pictures of the mummies at Palermo, they've all got dust on them. That's because the the, the plaster ceiling are, is disintegrating. And obviously this is increasing the amount of moisture in the air as well. Yeah. Also, vandals broke into the Savaka crypt in 1985 and spray painted on the mummies and the walls. Oh, it's actually not, sorry, a correction, not spray painted. They poured paint onto the, like, kind of through things of paint. Sorry, not spray paint. Um, in the gallery I mentioned, there is one example um, that has some of the green paint on its lapel of its clothes from the 18th, early 19th century. Yeah. Restorers and nuns have removed the stains from the mummies themselves but the clothes are still covered in the paint because they like that's different to try to clean. What a brutal job. Yeah. I would so, not want the job. They are going to try to do it, though. They are going to try to get rid of the, the, you know, like do some uh, work on the clothes to get rid of the paint. That's awesome. Well, that's something that could happen again, potentially. People do protest, and it's a place where it kind of has a lot of religious significance. So <laughs> it's a target. And also, finally, in recent years, a unique strain of bacteria has been discovered that thrive in catacombs, which induces mineral effervescence and decay. So there is a new kind of bacteria that, for whatever reason, has managed to find its way into the catacombs, probably through fucking tourism, yeah. and now uh, eating the corpses away. So we probably we probably won't continue to last the way that they have. Yeah, that's probably so that's why. Sad. Hmm? Yeah. That's probably why Sleeping Beauty started showing decay, just the the introduction introduction of uh, bacteria. I mean, there's no way to, if you've got loads of people coming in and out all the time, there's absolutely no way you can stop the introduction of bacteria into the, it's a bad idea from the beginning, but then, you know, um, yeah, so. They even even, um, moved her, when they found that she was starting to deteriorate uh, or to to change color, really, they moved her coffin to a drier spot and put her into a hermetically sealed glass enclosure with nitrogen gas to, to help further prevent her decay. Yeah, the nitrogen gas thing is what they use on, like, Utsi and things like that, you know, like the the Iceman, because they will rot if they're not in the right kind of 
conditions. Yeah. She's a special case because she's kind of like a snapshot in time, but, um, you know, a, most of the mummies in there are probably beyond, I don't know. It's about, you know, thinking about the financial sort of implications of preserving them as, as, as a person that is passionately about preserving the past. I can yeah. see, you know, some but people. The, pap- the papacy takes care of almost all of the catacombs. They can afford to fucking. That is a very it. good point, Melanie. That is a very good point. It. It's the church. They don't need our tourist money. So that is the um, catacombs de cappuccini. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> So I came across some interesting fun facts that the catacombs of Rome are the oldest catacombs that we know of, believed to have been in active use from the 2nd to the 5th century AD. Most famous for Christian burials because in Rome it was illegal to bury the Christian dead within city limits. And uh, no one could be buried within city limits. Yeah, nobody could bury, be buried. And, and well, they were big on cremation for the longest time. Um, And the only people who were really opting to be buried were Christians because they wanted to preserve their bodies in case of the second coming and things of that nature. Um, So they started, they found all these limestone mines that they had used to build up Rome. And that's where they were putting their Christian dead. It also became sort of a place to uh, celebrate Christian martyrs and, and places like that. So yeah, catacombs are fundamentally a religious place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I don't feel particularly bad about the the Capuchin uh, one as far as like um, just being so heavily visited because it, it is a bit more showboaty than most other catacombs. But yeah, like in, in Rome, you can visit about five different catacombs and they don't have the cool mummies that that this guy has. They're They're all pretty well stacked and preserved in their sarcophagi and their coffins. Um, and they have their beautiful art throughout and, and iconography, but they're not as not as fun with the, the visible corpses. Uh, but there's there's like over 60 of them that you just can't access. They're they're dangerous to access. Uh, it's 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 a trip. But the main reason I bring up the Roman catacombs is because I found out that we have a catacomb here in America. Mm. Hmm. Apparently, we got a catacomb up here in the very fine U.S. of A. I I did not know that. I did know that, but that's only because I was doing the research for this. Yeah, no. <laughs> and it, and it may be a different one because I know there's also there's one in New York, but the one I'm bringing up cracks me up. It is a in the late 1800s, a group of Franciscan monks built a holy land in America for those that couldn't afford to travel abroad, complete with gorgeous monastery, garden, and genuinely beautiful artwork. But there is a manufactured web of underground passages with row after row of graves, all of which completely empty. <laughs> These catacombs do have an official papal endorsement and contain very one, one very real skeleton of what looks to be a seven or eight year old child. Legend holds that the bones belong to a martyr from the second century and they're made their way to D.C. from the catacombs of St. Callistus in 1929. I'm sure that's true. Yeah, right? <laughs> I believe it. Above the catacombs, the Franciscans also brought together a sort of spiritual theme park, complete with replicas of the tomb of Jesus and numerous other altars, chapels, and grottos from the old world. 
God, can it be any more American? No, it's so perfect. (laughs) (laughs) A Roman architect named Aristides Leonori produced the design for a mini catacomb based on the measurements and photographs of the originals in Italy. So architecturally, it is it is a, a, a fairly decent replica, but yeah, it's just that's it's awful. It's like Las Vegas. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That cracked me up. I'm, oh boy. Oh boy. Of course we did that. <laughs> Um, and I guess I, we can't do catacombs without bringing up uh, the Parisian, the catacombs of Paris. We can bring them up, of course. Yeah. So the catacombs of Paris, and I want to make this very clear, is not really accurately a catacomb. More technically, it is an ossuary. Um, And of course, I forgot to write down the definition of ossuary. Hold on, give me a second. I think it has something to do with it being skeletal rather than corpse. Yes, it's 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 disarticulated bones. A container or room in which the bones of dead people are placed. Yeah. So a catacomb implies that the dead were buried there intentionally, where the catacombs de Paris are more accurately a place that holds the bones of ones that were buried elsewhere. It holds within it more than 6 million people, and that number keeps growing because this is over 200 miles, majority of which is unexplored because it's falling apart or dangerous. So there's obviously a lot of history here, but an idiot's guide kind of breakdown to how it went sort of goes as follows. And I could be not totally accurate because I was trying to like narrow down a bunch of research that I kind of half understood in a very sleepy state. So bear with me. Paris's earliest burial grounds were to the southern outskirts of the Roman-era left bank city. After a Frankish invasion and other nonsense, they abandoned that settlement for the marshy right bank. Some people made some dumb decisions, which led them to place their cemeteries more central to their city rather than on the outskirts. If you have your cemeteries on the outskirts, you can kind of build out from there, but if you have it in the middle and your city keeps expanding, you run out of space really quickly. There are... A lot of cemeteries there. But one of the biggest, uh, the most central of these cemeteries, a burial ground from the 5th century Notre Dame des Bois church, became the property of the St. Opportune Parish after the original church, blah, 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 blah. It eventually became its own parish associated with the Church of the Saints Innocents in 1130. Uh, this burial ground, filling the land between many, many other parishes and districts, became the principal cemetery. The state of the place got worse and worse and worse because People kept dying, and they were running out of space. They started to exhume the long dead, packing their bones into the roofs and walls of the galleries that surrounded the cemetery. So not only were they running out of space, you also had this pungent smell of rotting flesh because they were just stacking bodies on top of bodies, and it became a health hazard. It was just really deeply unpleasant. The state of the place got worse and worse. No amount of edicts or decrees could fix the situation, and in the late 18th century, it was decided to create three new large-scale suburban burial grounds on the outskirts of the city and to condemn all existing parish cemeteries in the city limits. In 1780, a basement wall in a property adjoining the cemetery collapsed under the weight of a mass grave behind it. So the left bank, prior to them leaving, was rich with limestone and became the place to mine for materials to build up their city in the 12th century. So as they're looking for a place to put their long deceased, they remembered, oh yeah, we got these old and mostly abandoned limestone mines. 
King Louis the XVI. Is that 16th? XVI? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> King Louis XVI called for an inspection because it was definitely still dangerous. It was definitely falling apart um, and taking houses above ground with it. Like sometimes the mines would collapse, taking whole house. Uh, at one point, it took a whole house with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a day. Right? <laughs> In the process of inspecting it, they were also reinforcing it. So by 1779, it was now a full plan to move the bones from the overflowing cemeteries into the mines. Cemeteries whose remains were moved to the catacombs include St. Innocent, the largest by far, with about 2 million buried over 600 years of operation. St. Oh Etienne de Grey, uh, one of the oldest, Madeleine Cemetery, Erancy Cemetery, used for the victims of the French Revolution, and Notre-Dame-des-Blancs-Manteaux. When they first started bringing the bones down, they were just sort of placed in the tunnels and prayed over by priests. Um, but Louis-Étienne Hericard de Thury, I'm really sorry if I'm angling this, but I am trying. I did try to do Italian before, Melanie. I don't think anyone's going to compare our French. <laughs> <laughs> now, this guy was the director of the Paris Mine Inspection Service. He eventually had renovations done that would transform the caverns into, into a visitable mausoleum. In addition to directing the skulls, the stacking of skulls and femurs into patterns seen in the catacombs today, he used the cemetery decorations that he could find to, well, decorate them. So that's a little bit of the history of how and why. Mm -hmm. This is one that I, this is one that I would have a hard time visiting, because even though they are stacked beautifully, there there is some gorgeous artwork done with human remains in these catacombs none of these people asked for it no yeah. none of them had any intention of being made into artwork no this is where i would get eked out real hard mass graves fuck me up i don't like it that scares the shit out of me one of the things that that's i mean there's so many things that can fuck you up about uh the the whole oh i'm forgetting the cult, uh, Kool-Aid. Jonestown. Yeah. One of the things that fucked me up the most about Jonestown, there were so many corpses that they couldn't identify a good majority of them. They were all just thrown into a mass grave. That wrecked me for like a week when I discovered that. Um, just so, an aside, just an aside real quick. Have you watched the new Netflix documentary? Is it about it? Jonestown? Yeah, it's two parts. Oh, no. Oh, wait, no, it might not be on Netflix. No, we watched it on iPlayer. No, we just literally watched it over the last two nights. It is insane. I've I've watched like eight documentaries on Jonestown. But I, I, I am shitting, like, holy shit. Like, I knew some things, but I didn't know all of it. Jim Jones, holy shit. Sorry. Well, he's, mm, it's, I can't wait for a cult episode. Let's just say that. <laughs> I got some things to say. Are you gonna do Jonestown then? Uh, well, yeah, I, that's that's kind of my my old obsession. All right. So if you want, just I got some fun facts about the Parisian catacombs. Indeed. So that way I'm not like going into a full monologue because I know that where we are running sort of close on time. During World War II, Parisian members of the French Resistance used the tunnels of the catacombs. Um, the Nazis established an underground bunker below Lycée Montaigne uh, High School in the 6th arrondissement. I don't know what that means, but Nazis used them. 
In August 2017, thieves broke into a cellar from the catacombs and stole more than 250,000 euros worth of wine. Whoa, they've got wine down there? It'd be perfect for wine. Well, no, they, they went through the catacombs into somebody's house and stole oh. their wine. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. I'm just thinking about stuffing wine in between the femurs. Like they're, they're, they're ready-made racks. Well, and that's like one of the big big problems is that it would be so easy to kill somebody, melt them down to bones, and then just stick their bones in the catacombs. You'd never find the remains. Oh, my God. So there's there's a fear of that happening uh, because there's no there's so many goddamn bones you wouldn't know. You you would have no way of knowing. Yeah. Um, bodies from the uh, bodies of the dead from the riots in the Plastic Rive, the Hotel de Brun, and Rue Mesli were put in the catacombs on the 28th and 29th of 1788. In the 1800s, two farmers saw mushrooms sprouting in the catacombs, and that's when they started mushroom farming in the catacombs. <laughs> I really want them to be like hallucinogenic mushrooms as well. Like, right, that would be perfect. <laughs> these were grown on top quality human remains. Yeah. It's gonna fuck you up. <laughs> it's gonna fuck you up. You are going to see dead people. <laughs> you will go to heaven and come back, and go to hell and come back. <laughs> And then um, one last little fun fact. In 2004, uh, the police were using the catacombs, the local police were using the catacombs to sort of practice drills on how to move in crowds of people, how to, you know, just some tactical training in the catacombs. And they discovered a movie theater and a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. They found like a screen and a projector, modern stuff. A restaurant, tables, like a whole setup, and nobody there. And they eventually saw like a little camera that was taking pictures of them. Uh, I guess they went back and they found a note saying something along the lines of, "Don't try to find us." Oh! <laughs> I thought that was kind of a trip. And I'll, I'll find the pictures of it. It's 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 insane. They they had a whole fucking little little setup and there there are little pools that people go swimming in Ooh. in the catacombs ew no that's gross but, but i mean cat- bounce, but because you're like under a city in the like runoff basically that is not great water i'm just that's saying it's for disease guys yeah yeah think, that is think. that is not good water for for you to be putting your body in you're gonna get cholera and you're <laughs> gonna deserve it yeah <laughs> but it's it's a big thing. I mean, cataphiles, it's a it's a real group of people who are just obsessed with with going and exploring parts of catacombs that you aren't legally allowed to. And to be fair, they don't there's not a huge punishment. Yeah, is it it's, like a fine? It's like thirty euros. Oh my gosh. That must be just like the minimum trespassing fine. Well, because I think part part of part of them wants people to explore it so that they know what's safe and what's not. You know, somebody dies, hey, you know, you shouldn't have been there. But on the other hand, okay, maybe that place is explorable kind of thing. So there's, um, yeah, it's, it's a very small fine. It's almost like just a fee to be an asshole in the catacombs. But there are places where you'd have to go underwater to come out the other side to find a better pool to swim in. Like, it's it's a whole thing, and I'll link to some really 
pretty interesting articles about all the different cataphiles just finding these really cool nicks and crannies in there, which I would never do because it's extremely claustrophobic and surrounded by dead people who didn't want to be there and are being touched against their will. But that's that's my that's a whole other thing. Uh, yeah, but the Persian catacombs they're they're gorgeous. I mean the the pictures if you look at them they're really stunning. There's this place called the uh, uh, there's this one display called the Barrel, mm. and it's basically this huge wide it looks like a big barrel completely constructed out of like femurs and skulls, ornately done and it actually poses as a a pillar a structure to help hold the chamber up. Yeah, and it's really cool. I appreciate the artwork of it. Ossuaries in general, I, I on one one hand fundamentally disagree with because again these people didn't ask for that. Uh, but on the other hand, I can really appreciate the art uh, the the artwork. There's an ossuary in the Czech Republic that is fucking stunning. Mm-hmm. Chandeliers made out of bones and skulls. I was gonna say before we go, like we, we should say that catacombs and ossuaries ossuaries are not uncommon they're actually pretty common more common than you think yeah they're not just like in one or two places they're all over there's south american ones there's oh, yeah. all over europe uh russia has some mm-hmm. there's yeah there's there's a no, lot of them and yeah, obviously has a few <laughs> <laughs> they're all really neat but um yeah they're they're not particularly safe because they weren't meant to be mass uh What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Visited? Yeah, they, they weren't meant to be visited in mass. They were meant to be visited like one-on-one, usually through um, going through churches specifically to go visit very specific loved ones. Well, I wonder if it was just a total accident because basically they just needed to move the bodies. Was Number mm-hmm. one priority was move the bodies somewhere else because they couldn't be in the city anymore. And so I've, I imagine that there was just a moral dilemma. Like, what do I do? Do I just dump all the bones here? That doesn't seem respectful. So why don't I just orderly like arrange them so that orderly arrangements became more and more ornate and then it became art. I just feel like it was like a gradual um, uh, evolution into this artwork. Of- yeah bones rather than it being like from the get-go we're going to move all these bodies and we're going to make it really pretty so it's just about kind of finding some kind of compromise between the how morally repugnant they probably feel for removing the bones like having some respect by putting it in some kind of order once they've moved them so Mm -hmm. it's actually kind of nice but then at the same time it's gone over into like a gaudy place well and a lot of uh, like ossuaries were very were built very specifically with the intention to put you in a place of reverence for death. To, yeah. To reflect specifically on your your manner of death and what that would mean to you. Um, there's this uh, Capela de Osos, this um, ossuary in um, Portugal. It's uh, next to the entrance of this Church of Saint Francis. But yeah, it's it's again gorgeous it spans uh 18.7 meters long 11 meters wide light enters through small openings in the side so it's very specific like it was all designed very specifically to give you this reverence of death yeah um i think it even has like a uh just a warning at the entrance we bones that are here are for yours await or more more accurately we bones you see in this poor state for you and yours do sit and wait 
So they're they're very specifically. I don't think the Parisian catacombs were with that intention, but yeah, most yeah. ossuaries, most ossuaries are very specifically for the intention for you to reflect on your own mortality. Particularly the one that you mentioned in the Czech Republic, because oh sorry, uh, yeah, in the Czech Republic because that one was it's it's basically a cathedral mm-hmm. of bones. Yeah, and that one's pretty hot. It's gorgeous. It's yeah, fucking gorgeous thrones of bones i mean it's wicked but frightening to me <laughs> we just basically don't know what to do with our dead and we keep changing our mind mm-hmm. so you know <laughs> i just want to fertilize a garden that's all i want to do but your bones will still be there though that's the problem that's the bones fine. The bones will eventually deteriorate but yeah or if like a coyote digs them up and is having a good time that's fine that's it's just I don't think that the natural uh, decomposition processes that our bodies would go through if we were just like a naturally occurring species would mm. work anymore because of our population being so high. So, you know, we have to come up with new ideas all the time to try to cope with new, uh, not only belief systems, but also just like new infrastructure in order to just get rid of our dead, it's going to be a problem that we're never going to get rid of. And it's interesting how human beings have dealt with that over centuries. Well, and spiritually, it's just really weird because, like, for me, if I just want to be interred in the earth, my my spirit, for lack of a better word, would not be attached to my bones. So that is something that I wouldn't worry about. Whatever happens to my body after I'm dead, I'm not worried about. Mm -hmm. But most people, when they are buried... I feel like their spirit, where when it moves on and, and does whatever it does, whatever you believe it does, has this understanding of its body has been preserved or protected or is in some way being respected. And I feel like messing with that is what is how you get bad mojo, is how you get not necessarily curses, but the, the emotional influence of a curse. It's, it's, just, it's just gnarly energy because that was supposed to have been protected and respected and it no longer is and when you shuffle them all among a bunch of other bones and there's no identity there's just this feeling of confusion that's where i would like as as an empath and a witch it would fuck me up as a um, more scientific minded person in terms of not really believing that the dead would care because they're dead and they're gone and their spirits are no longer, there's no such thing kind of thing. But yeah. basically a non-believer. Yeah. I talk, I, I hark back to when I told you about the Chinese government that are removing and um, r- uh, rural cemeteries and removing the dead and moving the dead in China. And I'll re- reiterate my um, sentiments there. It's that it's not about the disrespect that's being shown to the dead. It's the disrespect being shown to the living. Because yeah. no matter what, the living are the people that are affected by the removal and treatment of the dead. It's our feelings about those things that are what, what is actually important because we are yeah. what's left. Oh, yeah. So, no, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So I'm just I, I kind of think about how. I would feel if it were my relative rather than try to think if it was me, because if it was me, I'm dead. I don't care. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so yeah. instead I would formulate the question, if it was my relative and they'd been, they had a certain burial 
belief and they wanted to be buried in this way and then a hundred years from now that space was needed to be used for something else and they needed to be moved how do i feel about my relative being moved personally i would think about the greater good yeah 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 yeah. but not everybody's gonna feel like that i'm not if if tomorrow the cemetery that hold the holds the majority of my english side of my family had to be closed and removed because it was eroding away and it was going to cause issues had to be yeah. closed and all the bodies needed to be removed i would be fine i wouldn't yeah. feel, i wouldn't feel traumatized i wouldn't feel uh victimized or anything like that because i understand that that's how it works like things yes. shit happens I, I would want i would want specifically if that had to happen i would ask that my loved ones be cremated so at least their remains could still be honored Right, and that's, and that's your a spiritual place. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would just be how the living react, react rather than how the dead. The the idea that moving bones and removing bodies could curse a land, that's very much a idea brought about by the fear and the mourning and the very yeah. rightful, hurtful hurt of the living. Um, I was going to see if you were going to talk about the ghost stories of the the catacombs at all, but we've we've managed to to not talk about. Yeah, I I I wanted I was going to go down that route, and then I was, I I just kind of found myself a little bit more interested in the the architecture of them. Cool. No, that's fine. We can do the ghosts of of catacombs some other time. But yeah, yeah, yeah. they are apparently, especially the Prisium one apparently very very haunted yeah they're they're apparently haunted as shit but i i i I peeked at some articles and i couldn't find any good ones so i wanted i wanted to give that i wanted to give that more time than i had so with that and excitement for topics to come maybe we should wrap it up yeah melanie can you give us the social medias because you do it so good Oh, thank you so much. Okay, so if you like this episode, please let us know. We have we're on iTunes, we're on a whole bunch of different services, so we'd really appreciate any kind of reviews that you could give us. It it really helps boost our confidence and also to help get more earballs on this thing. If you have any topics, if you want to see all of the links and the pictures and fun stuff that we will post about this, hit us up on our Instagram, our Facebook, or our Twitter at Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. We are also always open for more topics. So please send us an email, zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. Or again, hit us up on our social media. We're not we're not above responding to, you know, hey, at Zombie Fishbowl, please talk about uh, sheep. I don't know. Anything. Just throw it at us. I'll talk I, about sheep for an hour. I, I I would rather not talk about sheep for an hour, but I will. I'm not, again, not above it. <laughs> I could talk about how it's almost impossible to distinguish between goat and sheep bones in archaeological records, but anyway. Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's ways we can do it. We can do it. Yeah. We can do whatever you want. We Just... always can put a twist on everything and make it interesting. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah, we'll find a way. So lay it on us. Give us you a chance. You can have that last fact for free. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so I guess that's really it. Hit us up. Follow us. We're worth following. We're fun. Um, we do post a lot of fun stuff. And I will try and get back onto the social media bandwagon because there was like a month there where I kind of was not. And I'm sorry about that. But I'm back. I'm not really. I've gone off social media quite significantly because it was making me sad. But every so often I do poke my head in and go, hello, is anybody talking about me? No. Okay, bye. 
And me being the big ham I am, I'm always posting videos with my face telling you stuff. So do it. Follow me. Uh, yeah. And I also, like, we have our YouTube, and I haven't done much on it, but I do have one video where I talk about the ghosts that are in my store, which are getting worse, by the way. Really? Yeah, situation has escalated. Now one of my coworkers who does not believe in ghosts, like, ac actively does not believe in ghosts, um, has been hearing someone screaming directly into her ear. So really? it's escalating, which is not fun. I had to yell at them yesterday as I blessed the store, so, Or she's you know. having some kind of breakdown. There, that's possible too, but I mean, if you knew her, she's she's pretty she's pretty solid in the mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, so follow me there. I will hopefully maybe start trying to figure out how to put up more YouTube videos someday. Maybe. Aww. Okay, thank you, Melanie, for doing the social medias because I just would trip over my tongue there. I just wonder, did you manage to get a, a quote for us? This I did. Yeah. I so thought this, this would be hard. <laughs> this quote is by Caitlin Doughty, who is from the YouTube channel Ask Mortician. She is a, um, you know, female mortician. She's uh, all about sort of giving you as much information as to what are the best ways to be embalmed or entombed, like just all the information you would want on what it means to be dead in America. Oh, that's it's, so cool. People do not talk about it. It's so they good. Don't. Yeah, that's brilliant. And particularly females in the mortician industry not not huge mm -hmm. so it's it's really exciting she's written quite a few books she's she's pretty sharp so my quote from her is in america burial means an embalmed body in a heavy-duty casket with a vault built over it so that the ground doesn't settle that body is encased in many layers of denial Ooh, that is beautiful yeah she's great i love her she's absolutely Please send me her her info so that i can begin my fangirling yeah, she's adorable. I love her. Betty bangs and everything. She's super cute. Cool. So this episode coming up, it may be um, next week or it may be two weeks from now. We'll, we'll let you know on our social medias when we decide we want to do this one. So probably two weeks from now because you got something to do next week, right? Yeah, probably two weeks from now because okay. I'm away next weekend. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to sing. So random topic picker, random topic picker, you're a random topic picker and you're gonna pick a topic didn't really have my heart in it but it's there goosebumps yeah yeah yes 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 yeah so that is this that's completely um what would you call that it's i i would say maybe goosebumps slash young adult horror fiction i don't know the topic just says goosebumps so we could talk about the movie that's just come out. We could talk about the books and the TV show. Yeah. That's a lot of things to cover there. Yeah. I may also bring up another young adult horror fiction. I read it, uh, horror author I read at the same time. So I'm excited. Nice. That's, that's a pretty Pike. easy one. Huh? Christopher Pike. Maybe. <laughs> right. So I'm going to actually do that properly. So what I'll say is... The topic is Goosebumps, which is a complete left-hand turn from what we've been doing. So it'd be nice to do something that's a little bit more uh, fun rather than academic. I think it'd be yeah. nice and relaxing. It's the book series by um, R.L. Stein, 
that you might remember that was made into a TV show aired by Nickelodeon in the 90s, which I was obsessed with, but I also really liked the books. And very recently had a film made out of it with Jack Black, which was a little bit of a return to form to him, actually, for him. Yeah. It was back to him being um, not over the top, but doing that sort of like grown up toddler thing, that, but not in an annoying way. Uh, he's great. Yeah. 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 So oh, I'm cool. so that we both kind of um, were just like, oh, that'll be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Do something that doesn't involve like incredible amounts of research. Cool. Fun. That's easy. That's that's awesome. Good stuff. Cool. So that just leaves me with the painful job of introducing you all to the end of the podcast. Aww. Saying goodbye to you all is always so strange because you're not really here and I'm talking to hypothetical human beings. <laughs> At least I assume you're human beings. I'm sorry if you're not and I've just offended you. <laughs> it is with a heavy heart that I say unto you, goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. Ta-ra. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs>